Bet365 sponsors this podcast and features over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you'll ever need to bet on sport. The app lets you access pre-match and in-play markets and provides instant match updates. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sports betting company. This app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only and please gamble responsibly. Welcome to 1874, the podcast that will bring you the definitive word on Aston Villa Football Club every single week. Now, I don't know about you, Greg, but I'm still very, very upset about Sunday. It's still a bit raw inside me. Are you over it yet? It's a tough one to put into words, wasn't it, really? Just, yeah. to, con- just to concede so late in the day. I just think Villa have, have struggled, really, against the top six, top six, seven or eight, nine teams. Um, just, a, just a disappointing one, but you know, one that they need to quickly put to the back of their minds and, and make amends against Southampton. Yeah, there, there is some other stuff to talk about this week as well, because I didn't want to solely focus on that Spurs game, just because I am still so upset. So, what we've got coming up today. Late heartbreak, Greg and I will have a debrief post-Spurs. Greg's big day out, what was it like catching a game with the Punjabi villains? Huge game on Saturday against Southampton, we'll preview that. A little look at social media as well with finger pointing and fan culture. Greg and I will discuss that. And as ever, we'll finish with the Villa Vault. So Greg, I think we said last week that we felt that Sunday was our best chance of beating top six opposition. We came, we came close to getting a point. Actually played some of the best football I've seen us play this season as well. But once again, individual errors and, and we've come up short, mate. Yeah, disappointing outcome in the end, wasn't it? A uh, strange sort of atmosphere around Villa Park with half of the roads around Villa Park being flooded and closed off. It was a, a difficult journey for me getting into the ground. And uh, and yeah, as we'll go on to later, I, I spent most of the day with the Punjabi villains who, who were uh, fantastic, excellent hosts. Yeah, good guys. Brilliant company, really good guys. Um but yeah, there was uh, there was also forty other thousand fans inside Villa Park, and the majority of them were disappointed leaving. Um, it was just a circumstance, wasn't it? As you said, they played started very well, played played some of the best football they had all season. Could have put Spurs to bed in the first twenty five minutes or so. Should and, have put Spurs to bed. Probably should have, yeah. And then um, poor old Bjorn Engels at the end with a, with an error that you can't really dress up nicely. No, no, no. Um, and, and it cost them the game. So, very disappointing. It's one of those, I feel like so many times in my life I've watched away fans celebrate stoppage time winners, like spilling onto the pitch, the, the away team players go into the crowd. And I know we've had a good few weeks at Villa Park, to be fair, recently with, with, with the late goals, but you just knew at some point we'd get punished in the same way, didn't you? Yeah, well, actually, you stuck a tweet out with a couple of minutes remaining. Oh, I saw that. Uh... I'll tell you what, you've got to take some responsibility there with that tweet. <laughs> Just to remind every single supporter that, uh, that that messaged me in some pretty vicious replies, <laughs> I have absolutely no influence on what Bjorn Engels or though, any Greg. other player on that Villa Park pitch does. So uh, whatever I say on my messages on Twitter doesn't actually mean anything, so... Remember that when you're replying to me. But anyway, yeah, you know, it was a bit of fun, really. I just thought the last two games that I'd been at, I'd seen Villa score late on in the day. I'd seen all the fans around me, you know, jubilant and, and, and delighted with um, uh, with a win. And I just thought, right, well, it's 2-2, evenly poised. Let, let's let's see if Villa can do it again. Third time, lucky. Unfortunately, it went the other way. And I have to admit, I, I, I didn't actually see that coming. I thought that, I thought that it, it was just, going to peter out and just be a 2-2 draw yeah. in the end there wasn't Villa weren't really pushing for, for the winner Tottenham looked like they'd um, 
ran out of steam. I just thought it was going to end up, you know, a two-two draw, and it would have been a decent point for Villa in the end. But yeah, just a, a very disappointing mistake, and and obviously you don't let Son in like that because he'll punish you. No, I just at the point of that game, I was a little bit disappointed at two-two, just just a tinge of disappointment because I was thinking. We played well, and obviously that that first half, I really felt like we made a statement in that first half. Just as I'd come round to the fact of, yeah, two two's all right. I'll take that. The big error happens, and we concede. It's just, yeah, I want to say it's unfortunate, but I suppose it's not unfortunate because those kind of mistakes have been littered across Villa season, and that's the reason we are where where we are. You you do feel like we've made a lot more individual errors than any other team in the Premier League this season, and it shows in the amount of goals we've shipped as well. Because fifty in twenty six games. Like you said earlier, that can't be dressed up. Yeah, it's just too many. There has been too many individual errors throughout the course of the season. Uh, we always knew it was going to be a difficult season for Villa. We always knew they were going to struggle, or at least it was going to be a season of trying to consolidate themselves back in the Premier League. But to concede 50 goals already this season is a really worrying stat because, you know, that OK, it's, it's, it's an average of two goals a game, isn't it? So it's meaning that they're needing to score three goals and to win the game. And that, it's just not sustainable. That the, there's a, there's a couple of worrying trends that are, that are starting to seep in now, and, and one of them is the away form. The other one is that they can't seem to get any points off the top six, seven, or eight, nine teams in the division. And if that continues, they're going down. Unfortunately, it, it's not. It's simply not sustainable because Villa cannot continue to struggle on both of those fronts because they will go down. They've got eight games out of the remaining 12 games are against teams in the top 10. So results have to change. They actually have to change. That's going down. And it's a good job this isn't video because um, when you said that to me, then my, my heart sank and I'm sure it was reflected in my face. I've I, I got to be honest, I didn't, didn't realise that. That's that's genuinely concerning. I've got to admit, on, on Sunday, that was the first time I think I've sat there and thought, I don't want to be negative and I'm not a negative person, but it just had all the hallmarks of, of a team that was going down on, on Sunday. Like a plucky underdog, they've had a good go, they've played really well, but it's, it's still not enough. Hand on heart, do you think they will go down? I don't know at this point. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was quite confident that they'd, that they'd have enough to stay up. But I, I always said to some of my friends, the Tottenham game would be the one for me. I thought that if they could get something out of that, then they'd have a real fighting chance. Now I'm actually starting to get very worried about them. Me too. <clears throat> I think if they go to Southampton and get the win, then it, it all looks a lot brighter again, doesn't it? And we are in the stage where you know we're, we're changing our minds week to week, depending yeah. on results. But... On the back of another defeat, two in the bounce, I'm at the stage where I'm worried again for them. It could be different this time next week, but at this moment in time, I am very concerned as yeah. They've got a couple of games which they will still look at as winnable. You know, They've got Newcastle, Crystal Palace, uh, West Ham on the last day of the season. That could be a big one. You know, there's, there's three or four games against teams in the bottom half of the, of the division. If they win all those four games, that'll all but guarantee them survival but I still do believe that they'll still need to get a couple of more points elsewhere so we are at the stage as I previously mentioned that they've got to start getting results against the top of the better teams in the division if they can do that then they'll be okay and you know the, the, the positive thing for me is that Dean Smith's side always seem to get better in the second half of the season yeah, that, that, that is a times. natural that is a natural trait of his teams you know I've looked back through his Brentford teams that happened and obviously at Villa last season and Dean Smith when he's been in a, a bad run of Results. He's always seemed to pull himself out of it and pull his teams out of it. So let's hope Villa have got enough. At the moment, I'm a little bit concerned, but there is still a long way to go. 
So people might not know this, but at The Athletic, you don't do a stereotypical match report. So you, you did your piece after the game and you were speaking about the, the Tyrone Mings selection. Obviously, he's missed out due to tonsillitis and it's, it's Engels that's, that's ended up replacing him. I can feel a bit for Tyrone, actually, because my, my throat's hurting a, a lot today. I don't know what's, go, don't know what's going on there. Is but that something we need to know, Dan? I mean, I've spent zero time with Tyrone. can only dream of spending time with Tyrone, Greg. <laughs> um, but I thought that was interesting, that the whole way you went through the, the selection period of how Dean Smith usually does it and how he was forced to do it because he wanted to give Mings as, as long as possible. Not everyone who listens to the podcast will, will have read that piece. you just want to give us a bit of insight into that article. Yeah, so Dean Smith usually announces his team 25, 26 hours before you know the game. It will be, if the game's on a Saturday, he'll tell the team on the Friday morning. Yeah. That will give the players a little bit of time to work on set pieces and work on a bit of shape ahead of the game. On this particular occasion, he didn't name his team until Sunday because he wanted to give Tyro Mings enough time to recover. Obviously, you know, we all know that Tyro Mings is the number one defender out of the four available to him. Villa aren't quite the same without him. So yeah. it was obvious that Smith would have wanted him in his team. Um, Bjorn Engels now is the only other option, isn't he, with James Chester having moved on? So if one of those three defenders aren't available, you know the man that steps in will be Bjorn Engels if if um, Smith wants to keep that three at the back. So Engels would have been prepared for it because obviously Mings had you know had a couple of days where he was struggling in the build up to hit to it. So he, you know he would have known that there was a chance of him playing. He came on for the for for forty five minutes against Bournemouth, so he wasn't completely raw. Um, but it was his first start for eight games, I think eight Premier League games. Um, the, the previous one was against Southampton where he yeah. struggled. You know as we've mentioned, feels the a long time parts. ago now that does. Uh, yeah, he struggled against Shane Long and Danny Ings, but. You know, he came in. I thought, I thought he didn't actually do too badly. Nah, really, I mean, like, I, f- I felt a bit bad. The, the report that I wrote, w- you know, would have seemed quite scathing of him. But it's just when you make such a high-profile error like that, and then obviously give away the penalties. Well, it's hard to dress it up nicely. And sometimes you just have to be critical. And and unfortunately, it was just his error that that um, proved to be the difference on this yeah. occasion. But he's a big, strong boy. He's he's been around the block already. Um, and his teammates have rallied behind him. So hopefully, you know, he'll, he'll just move on from that. And if he's playing on Saturday, which I don't think he will, because I think Mings will be back, um, you know, he should be OK. He had good moments, didn't he? He did, he did some things very well. He equipped himself well at times, but it's no good doing those things well. Because what you'll be remembered for, you've given away a penalty and you've made that, that crucial error at the end. Let's just talk over his, his two mistakes. It feels like a, a good time to do that. So the, the penalty, I mean, to be fair, I think it's harsh to call it a mistake. He's tried to make the tackle. It was a bit last ditch, wasn't it? And, and he hasn't made it. Dean Smith spoke about that not being a penalty. VAR shouldn't have been looking at that. I've got to be honest, I thought it was a stone wall. Yeah, I thought it was a penalty as well. I, just, I think Smith's very frustrated with VAR on the whole, um, which is probably why he said that. But don't really think he's got too much to say at that one. I, I think it was a penalty. Yeah, he went for the ball, tried to win the challenge, gave it away. Right decision in my view. What do you make of the high line? Because I, I don't recall us playing that high up against many teams this season uh, Villa Park especially in the games I've seen which is, which is every game I don't feel I don't feel like we've played that high Spurs at home with the players they had on the pitch Sun uh, Moore of course has problems on the break it just felt an odd thing to do to, to be that high especially when Engel's in the middle of it all he's not blessed with, with rapid pace I know Conter and Hawes once they get going they're, they're quite quick but it felt like a strange tactic and as well as we played and as I say the first half an hour I thought we were brilliant I thought Grealish was unplayable at times they kind of seem to soak it up a little bit and then, then want to hit us on the break. I just wondered what you thought of that because it seemed an odd tactic to me. 
Well, in a way, it was quite refreshing because it was yeah, almost yeah. as if it was almost as if Smith said to his side, "Look, you know, you go and you go and take this game to them. You know, let's let's see what we can do to them rather than worry about what they can do to us." And, and he spoke about it after briefly. He said that he, you know, was always aware of if that high line uh, backfired, then you know Spurs would Spurs would be in, um, but. They would have worked on that, and that you know the, the game plan would have been not to allow them in, yeah. so um, and try to cause some of their own problems. But it worked well at times, and then obviously at the end it just didn't. So yeah, it's fine margins, isn't it, in the Premier League? And an individual level like that can rip up a whole game plan. Yeah, he did redeem himself, didn't he? It was a it was a strange day, really, because it seemed to be all about Engels and Alderweireld, really, didn't it? Both made bad errors, but both got on the score sheet as well. I mean, Alderweireld's goal. He'll never score a goal like that again. And he probably never has scored one before. It just, that's another thing. It just seems typical of Villa. I know we all talk about Villa being a bit, bit unlucky and sometimes you do make your own luck. Things like that do seem to happen against Villa and then never happen again. No, I, I don't think he'd scored for three years. You know, let really? Alone, let, I mean, presumably. Oh, that makes it even worse. I didn't watch him when he was at... Was it Ajax he started at? Yeah, Ajax, Southampton, he's been yeah, at as well. I didn't yeah. watch him when he was at Ajax, but... You know, certainly he wouldn't have scored a better goal like that in England, um, and probably won't for the rest of his career. But yeah, if, with Engels, it was a it was a strange one, wasn't it? It was a mistake redemption, mistake trilogy type thing, oh. and you know, just just Alderweireld was similar, but you know, he ended up on the um, on the winning side in the end. Clearly, Dean Smith wants to give Drinkwater a go, doesn't he? Clearly, yeah. he wants he's he's obviously seen something in him, either in training or in his previous you know performances for other teams. That he wants to get out of him, and I think, I think maybe he's got one more game. I think we were saying off there, but you know, I think he's got probably one more game to show what he's about. If he doesn't, then maybe it might be a change. Then we haven't really got time to play someone into fitness, have they? Because he does look off the pace. I think it's not a, a lack of trying. I think I think he's working really hard, and I think at times he uses the ball very intelligently. But he just does look off the pace, doesn't he? He does, yeah. I mean, he, he's obviously working very hard to to get to get fully match fit and get right up to speed. Um, it's been a really difficult period for him, hasn't it? For the last sort of eighteen months, he hasn't hasn't really played much football. So it's almost like he's just like starting the season again, and he's th- he's four or five games into his season. So if you remember at the start of the season, Jack Grealish was not off the pace, but yeah, he didn't look fit. Didn't look didn't look um, as good as he could be and it just took him a little bit of time now I'm not saying Danny Drinkwater's anywhere as good as Jack Grealish who's got the the, quality, the capabilities to improve his game like Jack did but although Villa haven't got the time to allow him to I think we do just need to remember that it's a slow process for him and in, as I say, I think he's just got one more game. If, he's, if he doesn't show it in the next game, then you know we, we can understand why he doesn't play again for a little while. Yeah, he's a tough one because obviously comparing to Grealish, that's not what we're trying to do here. Yeah, but, but he just, has got the fitness, he has got attributes it, yeah. that that could be could be useful in terms of being that deep line mid- midfielder and, and, and getting the ball moving and starting counter attacks and, and things like that. He's a Premier League winner, so he, he's proven that he's, he's a good player winning the yeah, Premier League yeah, at Leicester. Indeed. But the fact that he hasn't played football for two years, it does show. It's just a difficult one for him, isn't it? We know all about his qualities. We've seen it at Chelsea, uh, sorry, at Leicester, and but I think you played as many games for Chelsea as he did. Just needs to play football, doesn't he? Yeah. What about Samata, the other the other January sign? I thought first half again, first half in particular, he occupied Spurs. He made a lot of good runs, intelligent runs. I was impressed with his hold at playing the way he brought people into play as well, and. Him going off, he didn't look tired to me. Yet we, we got Baston on, who difficult to judge him, but he, he didn't look like he knew what he was doing in particular. I thought that was a strange sub, but Samata was good on the day. 
Yeah, he was a handful, wasn't he? He started really well, um, showing his aerial qualities once again and, you know, was getting in front of Alderweireld and, yeah, Sanchez at times and causing problems. Um, he was dragging the centre-halves away and just making clever runs down the, down the flanks at times and, as you say, holding the ball up well. Had a couple of opportunities himself. Yeah, I think, I think the substitution, the reason, was just to give Baston his debut, just to get him involved, make him feel a part of it. And that's right, though. I don't know. I mean, look, you know, he might have come on and done something okay he looked a little bit off it didn't he didn't really know what he was doing and Again, where he, he hasn't was. Much football. yeah um we'll see more of him in the future yeah I just wanted to touch on today it's been announced that that son has obviously picked up a bad injury in the early on in that game as well and he's going to be missing for a long long chunk of the at the end of the season now it's a shame, it's a shame he didn't go off <laughs> yeah. in the game, isn't it? He's sitting there with two goals. Like Take those two goals It off, seems yeah. a bit weird that he can play the rest of that game completely straight after it's happened, but then they suddenly now say he ain't going to play for the rest of the season. I just thought that was really strange and annoying. Mm, yeah, I mean, he was playing through the pain. So uh, Charlie Ekosher, our uh, Tottenham reporter, reported exclusively, um, be sustained the injury early into the game. I think there was a, a knock with, with Konza, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, and um, played through the pain. Wouldn't like to see him when he's paying for it you know, if he scored uh, two goals. Well, but just, again, that feels like typical Villa again. Though I'm saying about these things <laughs> yeah. happening. So a few people have, have, have asked questions. Actually, we had, a, we had a lot of replies to the questions. There's no chance of us getting through them all, but there was some that tied in nicely to, to the Spurs game. So Rossack two five hundred said, "Do you think it's time for three five two to be considered? Just firm up that midfield a little bit because as as we've said, it does feel like it's too easy to get to Villa's back three at times when there's just two sitting in there do you think a third man would help not that it helped against Man City when I think about it mm, possibly I just think who would you have as who would you have as the man you know the, as the most advanced with Samata or would it be Jack would it you know Jack Jack just off Samata and That's then the drop, way I drop do El Garza. I like El Garza. I've got mm. a lot of time for him I think he's very very effective yeah I, I just I actually think Villa played quite well against Tottenham I think I, I think the system works I personally wouldn't change it and I don't think Dean Smith would be considering that for Southampton but um, it's maybe a consideration when John McGinn comes back I think that's the time to, to maybe address that but that's just my view Do you know anything about McGinn's return? I, I don't know whether you saw his heads up thing with Pr- Prince William he, he kind of implied he'd be pushing to be around for the cup final didn't he which isn't that far away now Yeah Dean Smith was asked that um, would, will he be available for the cup final is he targeting the cup final and he, and he answered kind of but very sheepishly, you know, he just said, well, yeah, any injured player would be targeting a return for the cup final. So he didn't really commit to that. I've seen John McGinn again in the mix zone the other day, walking through without any assistance, you know, That's so good. that was a very positive sign. Um, he was all smiles as well and, and happy. And I think he's closing in on a return now. I don't know the, the exact date. I think Villa are uh, mindful of, of putting in a time frame on it just because they don't want to disappoint anyone They've in been case. burned with that before, haven't exactly, they? Exactly, yeah. You know, we all remember when Jack Grealish was supposed to be out for two weeks and ended up missing three months. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I think they've stopped doing that now. But yeah, you know, in short, the sooner John, John McGinn's back, the better. Yeah, we, need, we certainly need to get the meatball man back soon. So, Simon Fulton's asked an interesting question. He says, if Dean Smith wasn't one of us, would he be getting more stick? Uh, yeah, good question. That is, um, I I remember going to the Burnley game on New Year's Day, and it was starting to get to the stage where fans were messaging me on Twitter and sending me comments on Twitter saying, you know, it, this job's too big for Dean Smith. And you know, I was reading various tweets and listening to some fans' opinions, and they were just starting to criticise him. And I thought this is the first time really it's you know it's starting to turn. But then Villa got that that very very all important win at Burnley. Um, 
and those comments slowly died away. I think he get Dean Smith will get a little bit more um, support because he's one of their own. Do you not think that's but, more to do with the fact of that what he achieved and the fact that he he got us up? I just think if you look at the facts, you can't you can't hammer or, or criticize. You can criticize, of course, but you, you can't question things. You, yeah, you can question. That's the right way, but you can't criticize a guy who's come in midway through the season, got the team promoted, has currently got them above the relegation zone and into a cup final. Well, I just think like it's that. just it's too sounds soon, good, isn't doesn't it? it? Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like how can you how can you question this man? So uh, sorry, you can question this man, yeah. but how can you criticize this man and say he's not the right man for the job because? He clearly is, in my view. I've certainly never heard anything at the game where I've heard rumblings of people trying to get Smith out and, think, and, and things like that. I don't think I've ever, ever heard that at Villa Park. The, the true measure is the, the away fans are a, a day like Burnley. The, the away fans are the, the hardcore. They're, they're the ones when they start to turn. You know you're in that's trouble. What, yeah, then, you, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's the end of day stuff at, at that point. People have been asking about John Terry and the defensive coach. Obviously, Martin Hanks here has, has asked. And uh, John Terry is obviously down as being the defensive coach. That's correct, yeah? Not necessarily. He no, likes to take it on him. He, not, he likes to take it on himself to to work with the defenders. But John Terry's not the type of character that will uh, go slamming into defenders. He's not the type of character that will pick out someone at fault on the training ground and say, "You over here. This is what you're doing wrong. This is what you need to improve on." He kind of leaves Dean Smith to be that man if ever that needs to be done. John Terry will sort of sit in the, almost in the background and if one of the defenders feels like they need a little bit more assistance, they will then go to John Terry and, and say, look, you know, I want to work on this, I want to improve on this, can you help me go through this? Um, and various defenders have spoken about how he's given them little pointers, yeah. gone through clips with them uh, and, and worked on various things. I remember Tammy Abraham, um, obviously not a defender, a striker last season, uh, spoke very highly of how he helped him improve his head inability. And if you look at his record now, he's scored a lot more goals with his head uh, since that loan spell at Villa. He takes it upon himself to to improve the defenders, but he's not one, he's not like a Ransor Raver. He's not the specific defensive coach. People are asking because we've conceded fifty I, I know, goals. I know, I know the questions because I, I, a lot of people ask me as well. You know, sometimes when when Villa have a bad day defensively, the first couple of questions that tend to come into my Twitter are, "What does John Terry do?" Okay. You know, and, and it's, well, yeah, he does work with the defenders and he tries to improve them, but it's it's also Dean Smith's job to do that as well, you know, so um, there are various pointers and he's been giving the defenders a helping hand and if you speak to any of them, actually, They're all they, very all, complimentary. they all say that his guidance has helped them, but it's just little minor tweaks here and there. So you, in terms of the wider unit, the defensive unit, that's that's not John Terry's responsibility. Not, I think that's what people assume. Not necessarily. I mean, if you split the bit between the two, Richard O'Kelly will take more of a hands-on role with the strikers and the attacking players. Okay. John Terry will take more of a hands-on role with the defensive areas. But, it, you know, he, it isn't his role to focus on them. So this point has just, just occurred to me. I haven't got this down or anything, but Villa's... Villa's coaching staff, other than Neil Cutler, who has coached in the, in the Premier League for, for a short space of time, and you can see, we spoke about it last week, the improvement in the goalkeepers. In terms of physical coaching, Villa's outfield coaches, none of them have ever coached in the Premier League before. People talk about, oh, we haven't got enough Premier League experience on the pitch. Do you think it's fair to say that the, 
we could do with some off the pitch as well. Possibly, I think that I think that Dean Smith has been around the block. No, I'm not. I'm not from one minute knocking no, anyone I here. Know, I know. It's just an, it occurred to me that there there isn't anyone who knows what the Premier League mm. seasons like. I mean, John Terry does because he's played there, but from a coaching perspective, that they, they don't know. Certainly, yeah. I just think. I just think that Dean Smith's got enough managerial yeah. experience. I'm just asking if it's relevant, yeah, basically. Yeah, personally, I don't think it is. I think that, I mean, you, you, you're, then, you're then looking at splitting up the Dean Smith-Richard O'Kelly partnership that's worked so well at Warsaw, Brentford and Villa. Can you not just have another coach, though? Like, I know, of course, Could they not yeah. still be there? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know... I mean, football they, manager, they, I'm they, hiring all, all sorts <laughs> of coaches. We get people in to do everything in, in football manager when I play. But yeah, I think, I think Dean Smith does turn to experienced heads every now and then. He's, part, he's obviously part of the, the LMA and he, and he leans on the assistance of, of like, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson, Walter Smith, David um, David Moyes even, uh, before he was back in, back in work. He, he often likes to, at Sam Allardyce also, he often likes to uh, speak with those managers and just run ideas past them and gain little tips and okay. things like that so that's something that he will be taking into you know his training sessions as oh. well but it's a valid point obviously John Terry's been there taking notes through uh, for all the training sessions that Jose Mourinho Carlo Ancelotti yeah, Antonio Conte uh, Rafa Benitez would have would have um, Pello, I guess yeah England I mean well. all, all sorts you know he, he's been he's been and learnt that so there will be various things that he will bring to the table it's a it's 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 a point worth raising but I just think that there's enough there, you okay. know, for, 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 for that not to be an issue. Let's move on to Greg's big day out, Punjabi villains. Tell us a bit more. Tell us about your time, because I really enjoyed your piece that, that you did about yeah, it. Yeah, th- thanks, Dan. Yeah, I really enjoyed writing it, actually. It's probably, since I started at The Athletic, it's probably up there in the top three or four that I've, you know, enjoyed putting together it, it was a brilliant day really enjoyable I actually reached out to them to them rather than uh, the Punjabi villains okay. coming to me looking for publicity or anything but um, nah, they're not like that at all they're, 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 honestly they're, they're, they are just such a, a brilliant bunch um, I I went to the Calthorpe Arms in, in Hansworth just a, a mile and a half away from uh, from Villa Park and it was absolutely ripping down with rain. It was cold and windy. And, uh, and as I pulled in, I thought, well, what's going on here? It's quite a small little place. But as you go in, they've got huge plans and, and they're uh, currently extending the place and they're going to have a big function room at the back. The okay. Punjabi villain sign is going to be um, on on the wall and they're, they're, they like to go for mixed grills after the game. They go I've to, seen some of those mixed grills though. <laughs> I've gone vegetarian oh, recently, so I've probably been in a bit of trouble. <laughs> they are fantastic. If ever you get the chance to go with them, go for one. I know you're a veggie. Yeah, yeah I can't, can't, I can't, I can't. <laughs> oh, you're missing I mean, I can out. I go along for the crack, Greg. I you mean, are missing you out. Sound about writing, you. you sound about writing stories. <laughs> uh, you need to write some invites, Greg, because that's a few <laughs> things you've been to without me now. Yep, you're missing out on that mixed grill. They go to the Grove currently in Birmingham, but but yeah, just a little bit about the group. There's um, It all started in 2010. So Wolverhampton Wanderers had a, a, you know, a Punjabi contingent who got together and, and put a group together. A couple of Villa fans jumped on the back of that, thought it would be a good idea. Uh, and then a guy called uh, Ricky Ricky Shima uh, has taken it on, really. Lovely guy, you know, very, uh, he's a firefighter, so, you know, he's, his heart's in the right place, yeah. of course, and um, does a lot of charity work. So, yeah, I, I went and met them all on uh, on Sunday. They, they hosted the Punjabi Spurs 
I think they paid for the majority of their drinks, you know, and they, they certainly paid for their food after, which is just a measure of the I group. wouldn't have been doing it after the game, absolutely no chance. <laughs> They've had a great day, as is. Just, you know, just a measure of the group of how uh, how warm and, and welcoming they are. But yeah, the, there's, some, there's some brilliant stories. So if, if you get the chance to read it in The Athletic, it's, it's, it'll explain it, you know, their, their whole story in full. But I spoke to a, uh, a lad called Sam there as well. He was, uh, you know, the majority of the, the Punjabi villains are Sikh males. Okay. Uh, Sam was it was a white male, you know, thirty five years old. Um, he admitted that he he had problems with drugs in the past. Uh, it's quite touching the story. Yeah, yeah, very 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 touching. But you know, very uh, honest guy, and um, found himself homeless in his uh, in his early twenties. It was about ten years ago now. Um, but he found out that the Sikh temple offered free food twice daily, so he would go there and he would he would eat that food and 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 that sort of lifted him up so when it when he found out about the Punjabi villains he reached out to them and said look okay. you know this is, this is my story this is how the Sikh the Sikh community have helped me in the past I'd love to meet you and he met up with them as well on Sunday for the first time so yeah it was just a it was just a really nice day really really enjoyed it um and Above all, you know, they do so, so much good stuff for charity in the community. But above all, they're just such a, you know, like a, a, a lovable, likeable group. They're, they're all really fun. Um, absolutely love Villa to, to death and, uh, you know, and just up for a good time as well. It was just so refreshing because they, they describe themselves as, as, you know, a colourful, entertaining group. I remember at Wembley. they are. remember the playoff final. I think that was my first exposure to them and they really did start to create the atmosphere outside yeah, the ground. Great, aren't they? There's a lot of good fan groups at Villa. It's not just exclusively the Punjabi villains. I've met some great people uh, over the years. Is that something you'd be looking to do again, get involved with, with other Villa fan groups? Yeah, definitely. There's, there'll be a story coming out uh, just before the cup final about some some of the other fan groups. Okay. Uh, it's one to look out for. But yeah, um, shout out to the Bedford Lions as well. You know, yeah, they're a great keep, bunch. Keep bumping into them <laughs> at uh, in various pubs and across the country. So yeah, they're a good bunch too. But there are plenty of others. And you know, if, if ever any of you see me out and about, just come and say hello. Yeah, lovely, lovely stuff, Greg. Let's let's preview Southampton now. Massive game. I mean, we we say every week Villa need to win, but I feel like they really do need to win this weekend now. Recent results, considered. yeah, big big game, isn't it? Now twelve, just 12, 12 games remaining. You're looking at these games, you know, Southampton, Everton, West Ham, um, Newcastle, Crystal Palace, the teams that are going to be sort of the lower end of the table. These are the games they probably have to start winning because, as we've said previously, they're not seeming to do it against the top teams. Southampton have turned. They had a really good run, didn't they? They turned it around. They've just fallen off a little Stuttered. bit. They're stuttering, Greg. Yeah, but I, ju- I think they've just got enough points on the board now. 31 points on the board is probably enough for them, isn't it? They only need maybe two or three wins and they're probably yeah. home and draw. Um, so, yeah, it would be good for Villa to... Oh, it would be great, wouldn't it, if they could just get a win and ease a lot of the pressure. And there's just a little bit of... Just a bit of revenge from that Villa Park game because they... They walked over him, didn't they? Yeah, they outclassed us from the get-go that day and it kind of came from nowhere. I really wasn't expecting that. I was expecting that was when Villa's good run was going to start. Southampton were below Villa at the time, which tells you how nuts the Premier League's been this season. So a lot of Villa fans are talking, about, well, certainly when Wesley was playing, if we had someone like Danny Ings, we'd be where Southampton are. But if you look at it, actually, they're heavily reliant on Ings. Villa have shared their goals around and we've scored more goals than Southampton. So that's not the problem, is it? It's the other end that we've talked about. But just talk to me a little bit about Danny Ings so far this season because he's been phenomenal. Yeah, he's, he's been great, hasn't he? I mean, he, he, absolutely fantastic. Fair play to him. Um, and you'd think he would be 
pushing for the England squad now. There's a few, I, mean. I think, at the moment, English strikers. Like yeah. Calvert-Lewin at Everton as well is one that I think is, is in with a shout at the moment. Yeah, I think been very impressed with things. He was he was very good against Villa. Obviously scored. Um, he's he's a big part of their revival, isn't he? Um, well, he's been scoring all season, to be honest. But I think if Villa did have him, though, they'd they'd be they'd be a lot better position than where they are now. I've actually not got him down as the as the key man from, from my scouting. I've done on Southampton. I got James Ward Prowse. He's, he's their key man. He kind of sets the tone for them. I think he's always been a good distributor of, of, of the football and always been lively in energy. But I think he's added a bit of bite to his game this season. I mean, his set pieces yeah. are always a threat. His, his corner taking's amongst the best in the league, if if not the the best in the league as well. There was talk that he might might be missing on on uh, Saturday against against Burnley, but unfortunately he, he was back fit and he'll, he'll play against Villa at the weekend as as well. He's he's picked up England caps in the in the past as well. But have you seen much of him this season? Yeah, the, the, whenever I watch the games, you know, the, the thing that always stands out with him are his set pieces, aren't they? You know, he can always, he's always capable of scoring a, a world-class free kick. His corner taking, he's, he's second to none, really. The way he just whips it in and he's he running techniques so quite many weird. problems. And yeah, he's, he's a decent player. I think they've got they've got quite a few though now. Redmond's going to cause some problems as well. I think he might um, be out. I think he's injured. Oh right, I think okay, he's picked okay. up an injury. So, yeah, um, which is good oh, news that, for Villa. That's a good sign. That's yeah. a good that's a good thing then because the last few games that I've watched of him, he's looked very. They're struggling out wide. I think I think Bufalu played at the weekend, went off injured as well. So I think they're suddenly struggling for, for wide players a little bit. But they've always got Shane Long, who always has the game of his life. <laughs> Shane Long against, against Aston Villa. Villa I've, I've yeah, seen him so. single-handedly destroy Villa a couple, a couple of times for Southampton and a couple of times for West Brom as well so as I said I was doing my research and I read Kyle Anker's piece from the weekend and he, he focused heavily on Kyle Walker-Peters really difficult to say that because you're just so, so used to saying Kyle Walker, Kyle Walker aren't you but it doesn't sound like he had a spectacular start but it, it sounds like it was steady we called last week that Jack and Target could actually get uh, Aria and they, and they did in particular in the, in the first half I think there's something there Again, target against his old club, Grealish. I think that's got to be the side you're looking at to try and hurt Southampton. Yeah, I think so. There were signs of that target-Grealish partnership coming back in the first half against Tottenham. Um, I really want to see that again, What how, how great they were against Leicester. I want to see that in a Premier League game um, because that could, be a, that could be the big difference between a result going in Villa's favour and not. Um, Kyle Walker-Peters, he's good getting forward, isn't he? Um, yeah. I haven't seen much of him lately. So, yeah. I think he been, played the first game of the season against Villa for Spurs. Yeah, they were short on full-backs yeah, at the yeah. time. They've just got to find any sort of weakness and, and try and expose Southampton. We're at the point now where they just need to, they just need to start winning some games. So obviously the tragic news of, of Caroline Flack over, over the weekend, taking, taking her own life. Horrible, horrible scenes and obviously we want to express our best wishes to and our condolences to her her family and friends it's social media is a funny one especially in 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 football it just seems that people can just say say what what they like to you you can you can make a a tiny error and you somehow you got people just pulverizing you for it like like it's the end of the world there's not enough accountability on social media for a start but just wanted to ask you of your experiences of of social media as as Aston Villa's reporter you've been well known for for years now obviously you've only recently at the Athletic but Villa fans will know who you are and sometimes you report things they don't always come off things change I just wanted to know what your experience was like on on social media it was Don Phillips who's actually asked us about this he's asked about finger pointing the fan culture the dangers of it especially in a world where social media can be so damaging so I just wanted your thoughts on it really yeah, it's, it's it's quite a sensitive one for some people. I mean, as journalists, you know that you need to be thick-skinned and and uh, and deal with sort of 
you know, abusive replies at times and, and people criticising either your work or your comments or your thoughts. Um, me personally, it's something I've uh, struggled with at first, to be honest, yeah, you know. When it's it, new. Yeah, when it was new to me. You know, I've been a journalist now for 12 years, so it's uh, it's something I've, I've got used to. But when I very first started using social media and I'd often get negative responses or um, quite quite nasty personal replies, I, I just kind of thought, well, you know, where's this coming from? It's 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 quite difficult to take at first, but yeah. then, you know, I've, I've grown to just accept it. Um, I don't personally reply to people that are, are um, uh, disrespectful or rude to me. I just find, well, you know, that I haven't got the time for them if they want to. If they yeah. want to do that for me, I just, I just ignore them. Um, I don't personally pick on people um, on social media, so I've got no interest in replying to people that do that to me. So it's, it's. Um, some people deal with it in different ways. Some people will struggle with it a lot more. I just think that the the motto and the words that are going around now lately are be nice yeah. to people, isn't it? You know, I've seen a lot of people just tweeting and a lot of celebrities tweeting just saying, just be nice. Um, I think if people could just be nice a bit more than, 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 than previously, the world would be a better place and social media would be a better place. Um, I'm all for the identification scheme. You know, I think... It's social at this point, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think I, I, I would totally back... Um, social media that that you need to provide your your identification to to uh to sign up and then you know you can name and shame people then people will be less likely to be so disrespectful no accountability is there at the moment for these yeah people get away with it you know people get away with it and they're ruining people's lives and they're hurting people and it's and it's causing really you know dramatic consequences as we've seen it's uh, you know in recent years and and recent days even um so yeah uh, my advice to people because i think like that would just be nice yeah, the thing I've had experiences of it as well. I mean, I've had many, many great experiences on social media. And for me, the, the positives that I've had far outweigh the negatives. And usually I just brush it off and try and take it as a compliment because I think if I'm making that difference to your life, then in my opinion, I'm doing something something right in the line of work I, I want to be in and, and what I'm doing. But then you don't know what's going on in, in someone's life. Like I've had days where I've had bad days and I've seen something on social media and you, you just don't need it. And I think... A lot of the time, it's it's people just thinking that, that their words don't hurt and there's no harm can come from what they're saying. But the reality and the stories that we've seen over the years and the, and the months is that it, it can harm people and it can hurt people and it can cause someone to end their life. So nine times out of ten, you don't know the person that you tweet. Yeah. And that's what I can't get my head around at all. And I just think it's something that needs to keep being discussed because I think the more it's out there in, in, in the public eye, the, the less likely it is to happen. People might start to be educated and that they might un- understand. And yeah, just tragic what's obviously happening happened over the weekend and it continues to happen in, and it will until something's done about it yeah I thought it was quite relevant as well because obviously Bjorn Engels has made a, a big error at the end of the game on Sunday and he posted on social media which was fair play to him for even coming out and saying anything and, and, and acknowledging it because he will have known I'm going to get some stick here but I've got to say from what I saw actually a lot of Villa fans were standing by him his teammates were standing by him as well and the, the positivity and the love was there for all to see rather than the hate and I just thought that that was really really encouraging and that now hopefully in this in this country and in this world we can we can start to turn things around and have more stuff like that 
Yeah, I, I looked at Engel's comments as well because I thought fair play to him for, for fronting brave. off. Yeah, he was brave because not, not everyone does that. Um, and the comments were very positive, but that's what we need more of. It, it can't just be Villa fans supporting a Villa player. It's got to be in general life, you know. You've got to you've got to support people that are going through tough times and struggling. Going back to the, the Punjabi villains, uh, they entertained the Punjabi Spurs. And uh, I remember speaking to the, the head of the Punjabi Spurs. And he's a charity worker from Stoke um, who said that he'd suffered racism when he was younger, you know, in Stoke. And, uh, and he just said something to me that stuck. He just said, always support the people that are around you, always support your neighbours. He said, if you don't look at your neighbours first, then you can't move on to like a wider community to help out. And I just thought, yeah, that was nice because I mean, how often do you just turn around to your neighbour at home and say, you know, how are you, how's things? Sometimes you just get up in your car in the morning, you go to work, you come back home from work and you go in and you don't even think about those around you. Yeah, it's just kind of, you know, you're on autopilot, aren't you? But sometimes if you just just think of those around you a little bit more, then, uh, you know, it 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 just might help. We're going a bit off track here, aren't no, we? No, but I, think talking about I think it's good. I think it's good to talk about it. And I think it, it fits in with, with football, and especially with the, with the angle stuff at the weekend. I, I was encouraged by that, and that was a. I think that's a nice way to, to end this segment. We finish as ever with the, with the Villa Vault. So, Greg, I'm going to throw a date at you: 14th of November, 1998. You any idea what happened that day? Um, oh, go on, enlighten me. Villa were, Villa were a good side back then, weren't they? Oh yeah, very good. Very. This is when I was like it. I mean, I love Villa now, but this was when I was like at my peak. I think I can't remember. I should be able to do the basic maths. 13, 14, absolutely. What, 25. Lo- uh, yeah, <laughs> 13, 14, absolutely loving loving the Villa, loving John Gregory. I was at the time as well in Villa when and, and broke a little record at the Dell. Oh, Southampton. Course, yeah, at, ta- at the time, beat Southampton 4-1, down Dublin hat-trick. He was an absolute fire. At, at that point, Merson bagged one as well. And at the end of the game, because they'd, they'd broken this record, John Gregory just did the unusual thing of getting the players down to have like a, an, an official photo. And some of the players look quite sheepish when they're having this photo taken because obviously we hadn't won anything at, at this point. We were top of the league and going well. But as it would have happened, we ended up finishing sixth, didn't we? And a pretty standard position for Villa back, back in those times. Six, sixth place, I'd do anything to be there. Now, but it was just it was something that, that was captured, and it was a really good good time to be a Villa fan under John Gregory at, at that point. So that's it for this week's episode of eighteen seventy four. Feel like we covered a lot of ground there. Greg gone gone through a lot of stuff. Re- really enjoyable to talk to you. I think I'm kind of looking forward to Saturday now. Now we've sat here and talked about about Villa. I think actually going through the podcast has made me get over. The, the defeat on Sunday it's finally. It's good to talk. Dan. It is good to talk. It's taken me a while, but I'm, I'm there now, and I, I think I'm, I'm over it. So thanks ever so much, Greg, for joining me. Really enjoyable to speak to you as ever, and thanks to all of you guys that have tuned in and listened as well. Remember, for ad-free podcasts, make sure you subscribe to the Athletic and listen through the app. You can get a forty percent discount now by using the code VillaPod. Thanks ever so much again. Keep listening to eighteen seventy four up the Villa. Mm-hmm.